Hey, thanks for being here this morning. I'm Robbie. I'm the pastor of apologetics here at Desert Springs Community Church, and I want to take you back to the year 2001. Does anybody remember that? I do. I was a junior in high school, 2001. I was homeschooled, but my best friend was super popular at the public school. He comes over to my house one day, he says, Robbie, tonight there's a party and we're going to go. And I was stoked. I, that was a word we used back in 2001, stoked. It means excited. And I, so I was like, dude, is this like a real party? He's like, yes real high school party. And so I have visions of 90s teenage movies dancing in my head of, you know, kids on billiard tables dancing around and jumping off roofs into swimming pools and loud music, and I'm excited about it or stoked. I go to my mom. I said, Mom, Greg invited me to go to a party tonight. She said, what kind of party? I said, a real high school crazy party. She said, what is going to be happening there? I was like, I'm sure there's going to be loud music, dancing, jumping off roofs into pools, drinking, the whole nine yards. It's all happening. She said, you're not going to do anything stupid, are you? I said, no, of course not. I'm a good kid. I'm not going to engage in anything. I just want to go to a real party. This is going to be great. She's like, all right. So we hopped in my purple Toyota Corolla. We drove down to Payson. It was great. I'm so excited about getting there. We, we get out of the car. We walk up to the door. And as I open the door, I'm just expecting like a wave of sound to wash over me and laughter and adolescent craziness and loud music. And as we opened the door, I saw the lamest group of people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> These kids, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They're just sitting around a circle in, the, in this room no music on, no dancing, nobody was even talking. I'm not kidding. Nobody was talking to each other. It was like 40 kids. And I thought, these guys don't know what they're doing. They don't know what this is supposed to be. If I wanted to have a more lively party than this, I could go to the old folks' home down the street and hang out with some people that knew what they were doing. These teenagers had no idea how to party. We hung out there for 15 minutes, and Greg's like, this is the lamest party I've ever been to. I said, this is the only party I've ever been to. And it's terrible. And we took off, and we went and did something else. Sadly, as Christians, I think a lot of the time we're like those teenagers at that party, and we do not understand how to party. We don't understand what celebration is. And today, we're going to continue in our series, Set in Stone, where we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of celebration. Now, this is different from the spiritual discipline of worship, okay? What is the spiritual discipline of celebration? Here's our definition. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. I'm going to read that again. We engage in celebration when we enjoy ourselves, when we enjoy our life, when we enjoy our world in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty, and goodness. This is something that we need to practice in our life because we don't naturally do it. It's something we're to engage in, and there are a lot of reasons that God wants us to do this. So we're going to start off and we're going to say, what does the Bible say about celebration? What does scripture say about celebration? And there's two main points with this. The first is that we see exemplified all throughout this book that God's people celebrate. God's people celebrate. 
After God brought the Israelites out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, and he brings them into the, uh, the land where they're going to take over and conquer, what's one of the first things that happen? Exodus 15. Moses' sister, she says, it's time to party. She gets a whole bunch of women, she gets a whole bunch of tambourines, and they dance around and have a party. You know what? Tambourines are loud. Do any of your kids have tambourines, grandkids have tambourines that you bought them and you didn't understand what you were doing when you bought them? We have this, um, this little kid's keyboard that my mom, for some reason, cursed us with a few years ago. And it stays on the top of our refrigerator because it's so heinous of sounds that come out of this. It's awful. That's what was going on here. Loud. You get it? Loud. Tambourine. Not, I'm, I'm in my pew at church. and I, This was celebratory. We're not slaves anymore. We're not making bricks anymore. We're not getting whipped anymore. We're out of there. God did something good. Moses' sister understood how to party. 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 15, David gets the Ark of the Covenant back and he's putting it back where it's supposed to be. And he leads it up with pomp and circumstance and they're sacrificing all these animals. They're celebrating God. And then they get up to the temple. And this is crazy to me. It says that David danced before the Lord, and these four words follow, quote, with all his might. I looked it up in Hebrew. It doesn't say with some of his might. It says all with all his might. Have you ever seen somebody dance with all their might? I like going to concerts. The guy that's dancing with all his might is the guy you're trying to stay away from because you don't want to get headbutted when he's going crazy. You know what I'm talking about? With all his might. Celebratory dancing. God's people celebrate. John 2 the first miracle that Jesus does recorded in scripture is making about 40 gallons of wine from water so that people could celebrate a wedding. Seven day celebration going on. Talk about a great wedding, right? Probably not cheap, but talk about a great wedding. Seven days, you know? When I go to a wedding, I'm like, I hope we can be out of here in two and a half hours tops. They better serve the food quick because I don't want to wait around while they take pictures. Jesus is hanging out for a week with people celebrating a wedding. And he provides the wine so people can celebrate a new covenant, a new family being created, something worth celebrating. God's people celebrate. King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, says this in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 4. Many of us are familiar with this, with this passage of scripture. It says, there's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what was planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And I've heard this passage preached throughout my whole life, and I've read this passage many times in the Bible, and maybe I'm just pessimistic, but usually when I read that, all I focus on are the negatives. That's true. We're all going to die. All of us, all of you, we're all going to die. There is a time to mourn. It's time to mourn. COVID season, right? Here we go. Mourning. I focus on the negatives. I hear the negatives preached, like, don't be surprised when bad comes. But it just as much in that passage, it talks about positives. It literally says, I mean, it literally says there's a time to laugh. It literally says there's a time to dance. We're supposed to do these things. We're supposed to do these things. And God wants us to celebrate. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to dance. 
God's people celebrate. And the second point is that God wants us to celebrate. God wants us to celebrate. And I want to look at two, two passages, two points from the Old Testament where we can see God's heart in wanting us to celebrate. The first concept that we see in the Old Testament that shows this is Sabbath observance, right? Sabbath observance. And the first place that the seventh day, the Sabbath day, the restful day is mentioned, goes all the way back to right after God creates in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And it says that God rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done, and he blessed the seventh day. God creates everything, then he rests. And it's a good thing he rested because he was probably exhausted, right? He's probably tired. He needed a nap. His hands were calloused a little bit. Forming Uranus and Mars was difficult. And he's ready for a nap, right? Is that what's going on here? No, that's called sarcasm, what I just did. Look it up. It's cool. You can Google it. Don't do it now. No, God doesn't need to rest. So what is this, what is this saying? Why did he? What is he doing here? God doesn't need to rest because he's worn out. God rested from work in order to enjoy the good things that he made. He rested to enjoy the good world that he made and to interact with the things that he made. Life is not merely about accomplishments. It's about being able to enjoy those accomplishments in relationship with God and in relationship with other people. And God gives us an example of this. Fast forward from when he makes everything to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. This is in the Ten Commandments. And he gives them uh, these Ten Commandments that he wants them to follow. The fourth commandment is about the Sabbath day. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or a sojourner who stays with you. Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. He made it set apart, right? This is interesting. Now, Try to, try to throw out your conception of what the Sabbath day was supposed to be and just see what this says. Did you notice what's missing from this? It doesn't say on the Sabbath day you're to all to go to the tabernacle and you're to listen to the priest, read the book of the law, and you're all to bow down for about an hour and pray. There's no religious activity listed here at all. Zero. All that they're told to do is don't work. Nobody can work. Everyone's off. Don't even make your kids work. Don't even make your workers work. Don't even make your spouse work. You know what? Your cow can't even work. You need to take a day off. You need time to enjoy the work of your labor because God took off from his work to enjoy the things he created because life is not just about work and accomplishments. It's about enjoying the fruits of your labor and the blessings that God has given to you. The Sabbath was a day to cease from regular work so you could enjoy the blessings of God with other people and with him. The second passage that I think really teaches us God wants us to celebrate comes from Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27. You grab your Bible, grab your app, and look this up. 
This is crazy. If you have a red pen, that would be sweet because you should outline this and circle it because this passage is uh, insane. It is crazy, and I hope as we read it, you're a little bit shocked as to what it says, all right? Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 27 says this. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, the tithe of your new wine, the tithe of your oil, the tithe of your firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. If the distance is so great for you that you're not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money, bind the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. Also, you shall not neglect the Levite who's in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. Did you see what that said? This is what God told the Israelites to do. You're supposed to tithe to me once a year. Tithe for them means 10%. Whatever your work produces, whether it's crops that you grow, whether it's flocks that you have, whether it's wine that you make, whatever your labor produces, you're supposed to give one-tenth of it to the Lord. This is what the Israelites were supposed to do. A tithe, a tenth. Well, what are they supposed to do with it? He tells them, take your tenth of whatever it is, and I want you to party with me with it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to have a feast and eat it in my presence. Have fun with it. Robbie, are you telling me that God told the Israelites to spend their tithe money on themselves? Yeah, I didn't tell you that. That's what Deuteronomy 14 says, right? This is interesting to me. Did they spend all of it on themselves? Well, no, a portion of it went to help the poor and the needy and the priest. But God's telling them, your tithe isn't just about giving it to me. I want you to enjoy the fruits of your labor with me. And then he tells them, listen, if it's too long of a distance for you to go from way north in Israel all the way south to Judah to Jerusalem where I'm going to establish my temple, if it's too far to, for you to get there, sell your tithe, take the money, Go to the big city, and then it said what? Buy whatever you want. Buy whatever you want for your feast. Whatever your heart desires. In the King James, it says, whatever your heart lusteth after. And then he lists stuff. You want to eat oxen? Get some oxen. You want to eat sheep? Go get some of that. You want wine? You want strong drink? Whatever you want, buy it with your tithe money, and then have a party with me. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? I know this isn't popular in a, like a Baptistic church setting, but this is what God's word says. What is going on here? And then I love it because he says, and don't neglect the Levites. The Levites, they didn't have an inheritance of the land. They couldn't grow crops. They couldn't raise uh, flocks. So he says, you, you should party with them and you should invite them into your celebration with your tithe money. This is crazy to me. I never heard about this growing up in church. Never. We, I heard a lot about tithing. I never heard about this type of tithing, right? What is going on here? One of the reasons God had the Israelites do this, it says, so they may learn to fear the Lord their God. Did you see that in there? 
The pagan deities and the idols in Canaan at the time also demanded sacrifice and tithe. And so the Canaanites would take portions of their crops and their flocks and sacrifice them to these false idols. And God said, I don't want you running the risk of doing that, but I don't want you just to bring me stuff as if I need your stuff. I don't need your stuff. I want you to come and enjoy the things I've blessed you with in relationship with me because I'm a real God who wants to be with you, not a false God who just wants your stuff. And when we don't practice the spiritual discipline of celebration, we too run the risk of idol worship because we're all going to go on vacation and we're all going to go splurge on an expensive meal. And if we're not engaging and celebrating it as a gift from God and enjoying it with him, we begin to worship ourselves and our hard work. And I deserve a break because I'm me and I've done a lot for this and I've put in a lot of hours and I've earned and I worship myself by celebrating myself and my work instead of celebrating the blessings that have come from your God. We need to practice spiritual the spiritual discipline of celebration so we don't worship ourselves and our accomplishments and our works. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, the Old Testament laws don't apply to us, right? I know some of you are thinking that. I don't live under the Old Testament. I live under the New Testament. I live under a covenant of grace, not these 613 rules of the Old Testament. And that is true. Now, the moral law in the Old Testament applies to us because it's for all people, for all time, in all places. But I eat bacon, and I eat lobster, and I celebrate it because it's good, right? So the dietary laws don't, don't apply to us. The clothing laws don't apply. The cleanliness laws don't apply to us. That was specific for Israel. But when we read these rules and these commands of God, I think one of the things we should be asking is this. What is God's heart behind the commands? What is he trying to communicate to us through these commands? What is his heart behind this? One of the things I think we can deduce from it is that the heart of God is for his people to enjoy him and to enjoy the things that he's made. We, we were made to live in relationship with him. Going back to, to creation, he makes all the stuff. He makes the world. He makes the animals. He makes the food. And then the last thing he makes is us. And he says, I made all of this for you. Look, look at all this stuff you can eat. It actually works with your stomach because I planned on you being here. You're not an accident, you're intended. And I made all this for you. I made your eyes able to see beauty. Go around the world, look at it. It's all for you. The Caribbean's beautiful. Alaska's beautiful. Like, go look at it. I made all this stuff for you. And he gives it to us because he's a God who wants us to enjoy the things he's made and the things that he's made us to enjoy. You see, he's a good dad, and he gifts us with wonderful things so that we can enjoy the gifts with him. Um, God doesn't give you stuff to keep you out of his hair. That's not the type of, of parent he is. He doesn't try to just keep you occupied so that he can attend to business, so that he can attend to more important things. You're the important thing. He loves you. He really even likes you. Did you know that? He likes you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And part of what he's doing is gifting you with every good gift that comes from the Father of lights, James says. He gives it to you so that you can grow in a relationship with him. 
I love Christmas time because I can buy fun toys for my kids that I get to play with, right? A good dad likes to do that, right? I love giving them toys. I remember a, a few years ago, uh, we got this toy for Cohen, my son, and uh, it was like a... Um, it's probably broken by now, but it was fun back then. It was a drone that had like a little motorcycle guy on it, you know, and it could fly around. And so we made sure we had the right batteries for it because that's the worst when you don't have the right batteries for the toy, right? He opens, he's like, can we open this? And there's like a pile of other presents that he needs to get to, right? But this is playtime. This is fun. Yes, let's open it right now. We open it, we put the batteries in, and we, we flew that thing all around this cabin, and we were crashing into the windows and the wall. It was so much fun. And, and part of it wasn't just I want to give him fun things. I want to enjoy the fun thing with him, and I want to make memories with him, and I want to grow our relationship through giving good gifts to him that we can enjoy together. And that is who our God is. He doesn't give us stuff to keep us occupied and out of his hair. He gives us stuff to enjoy with him. Another thing is that God knows that the spiritual discipline of celebration will cultivate humility in us. Will cultivate humility in us. Um, Celebration, by definition, is silly, right? It's silly. When I was a kid, we'd go on cruises a lot. And um, I was always shocked at how like 40 and 50 year old Fortune 500 executives would lose their minds once they stepped onto a cruise ship. They don't know how to button their shirts anymore, right? They're just hanging out there, doesn't matter, walking around with drinks and coconuts, you know, shaped cups, spinning around down the hallways, singing songs. I was like, what is wrong with these guys? They have lost their mind. No, they hadn't, they're celebrating. And celebration, by definition, is silly, and it's fun. And God knows that you and I need to celebrate because it keeps us humble. If you can't celebrate, you take yourself way too seriously. You think that what you do is way too important. And I've got news for you. You're not that important. You are extremely significant, but you're not that important. The organization isn't dependent on you. You're replaceable. I'm replaceable. I know that there's hundreds of people who could preach a better sermon on a Sunday morning than me. We're all replaceable. We're not that important, but we're extremely significant. And if we begin to practice the discipline of celebration, it helps us not to take ourselves so seriously. You have time to take a day off. You have time to enjoy the the fruit of your labor and the blessings of God. Life isn't merely about accomplishment. It's about enjoyment. You know people who, who take themselves too seriously are people who won't dance at weddings. It's true. And I've been guilty of that before, and you've been guilty of that before. The Bible literally says there is a time to dance. And at every wedding I go to, there's people sitting there and go, I'm too good for that. I'm too cool for that. I don't want to look like a fool. You know what that's called? It's called arrogance. Because celebration is silly. And celebration is fun. And we shouldn't take ourselves so serious. God wants to use this discipline in your life to help you remain humble. And to help you remember who you are. And that you're a kid whose dad really loves you. And that there is a time to play. And there is a time to enjoy. There is a time to dance. So what do we do about it? How do we apply this to our lives? A couple of ideas I have. 
I think that we shouldn't merely vacation. I know this sounds weird, but think about this. The word we use to explain our special time to, to celebrate is vacate, right? We define it as I'm leaving a place and I'm vacating. It comes from the Latin word vacar, which means basically to do nothing, to be unoccupied. So our idea of celebration is nothing. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Now, I think this may be the one thing that the, that the British got right, but they don't call their special time a vacation. They call it a holiday, right? That's a way better term for what we should be doing. It's a holy day. It's a day, it's a time that's set apart, that's special, where we go engage in celebratory activities as an act of worship and as fun time with our dad, enjoying the blessings and the gifts he gives us. We don't vacate. We holiday. That's what we need to do. And that's the mindset that we need to take into practicing this discipline. We don't merely vacation. We intentionally celebrate. God wants us to regularly plan times of celebration. Did you see what, the heart behind it is, hey, once a week, don't take yourself serious. I'm in control. Everything's not dependent on you. You can take time off. You can enjoy, right? Once a week. And then once a year, I want you to have a party with your tithe, right? God's giving them regular times, scheduling a time to dance, scheduling a time to laugh, scheduling a time to celebrate. He wants us to be intentional like that. What does that look like for you? Is there time in the week where you can say, this is our night where we have this special fun dinner and we don't really worry too much about the budget that night, right? We, 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 we buy the things that we like and we enjoy it with God. We don't, we don't just have fun, we celebrate in conjunction with giving credit to God for the good gifts that he's given us. Is there a time of year when you get to that special place and the whole point is to go to celebrate, to enjoy others, to enjoy God with celebratory activities, with fun, to remember the blessings he's given you in your life, to reminisce on the past six months or year about what he's done. We need to be intentional about it. I also think that we can gain from, from this passage that God wants us to spend money on celebration. He does. And some of you are really good at spending money, and some of you are really tight about spending money, right? There's a time to save, and there's a time to spend. Celebration's a time where it's okay. You don't be a bad steward. You don't blow all of your finances. I'm not talking about that. But there's a time to spend and to be okay with celebrating the good gifts your dad's given you. I would have hated it if when my son opened that, that drone, he didn't want to play with it. Now I'm going to save that until I'm 15. What? That's like, that's like 10 years away. I want to play with you now. No, Dad, I'm going to be a good steward of this. That's not being a good steward with it. Drones were meant to be played with. Celebrations meant to happen in your life. God's okay with us spending money on celebration. And God wants us to invite other people into our celebration. I love this. He says, don't neglect the Levite. It goes on in Deuteronomy. He says, don't neglect the orphan and the widow who, who don't have flocks and can't grow their own crops. You are supposed to invite other people into celebrating God and the blessings he's given you. You're supposed to party with other people and buy them good things and let them enjoy with you because celebration is about doing it with God and with other people. God wants us to invite other people into our celebration. And the last point is this. 
God wants us to celebrate the good things he's given us with him. We're all good at having fun. We're not all good at doing it in conjunction with God. And we need to do that. He wants us. The purpose of the gifts is to recognize the gift giver. The purpose is to enjoy it with him. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to dance. There's a time to celebrate. And right now is one of those times. Uh, When you came in the doors, you were supposed to grab a package of Pop Rocks. This uh, this sermon series is called Set in Stone, and I thought Pop Rocks kind of go with the theme, right? There's corn syrup in this. I don't know if you saw that. There's about 40 calories. Thank God for calories. Thank God for corn syrup. It's really good. I hope that's not on film, but I do. It's good. I like it. Sugar's a good gift from a good dad who wants to enjoy things with us, and we're going to do that now. The band's going to play a celebratory song. We're going to sing a celebration to our God, and we're going to eat Pop Rocks together because it's fun, and it's silly, and you are not too cool to do it. You're not. You can enjoy that. We spent money on Pop Rocks for us to enjoy this time together and to celebrate who our God is, to thank him for candy and sugar and funny things that can explode in our mouth and to sing praises to him because he's a good dad and he really loves us and he wants us to take time to celebrate. So let's go ahead and stand, open your Pop Rocks, let's do that.